chapters 26 and 27, again, is a lot of names that we're going to be looking at, and we're going to do a survey of it, and then chapters 28 and 29, uh, we'll be looking at uh, those chapters more verse by verse as we go through it. Um, one of the things that we know that as we go through this portion of Scripture, um, I was um, thinking about, it's interesting, as you go through First Chronicles, David establishing the musicians and, and the Levites and those who worship, and we've seen uh, Asaph, his name mentioned in He-Man, and um, the 24,000 you know, musicians and 4,000 worship leaders and all of this, that David is getting organized with the Levites, and, and it really is amazing to think that it was all tied in with the temple that David is uh, going to get the materials and everything ready for his son Solomon to build. And, and um, as we're singing um, tonight, it, it reminds me of Psalm 84, uh, to the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of the sons of Korah. But you, you read, for a day in your court is better than a thousand, and I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in tents of wickedness. And for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, bless us the man who trusts in you. And, and that was their praise and worship. And that's our praise and worship here tonight, isn't it, at Calvary Chapel, as uh, we worship a great and mighty, merciful, loving God who is so good. So, Lord, we ask that tonight you bless the text that we're going to go over and the Bible study that we're going to learn from. And, Lord, we thank you for this time of worship that we had, um, singing those words that were sung 3,000 years ago. And um, I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord than to keep company with the wicked. And Lord, we know that this world, even as we see today in our land, that we are calling that which is evil and wicked good and acceptable. And, and our nation, for a lot of people, rejoicing over decisions that the judges are making. And um, we know what your word says, and that's what really matters. And we stand for righteousness. And Lord, we desire to be a light to those who need to hear the truth and the truth of salvation about a loving God. And we desire to stand on that truth even tonight. So, Lord, bless this time as we study your word. May we be encouraged and blessed as we go through these chapters. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So what we're seeing in this section of First Chronicles is David was told that, David, you're not going to build the house of the Lord, but your son Solomon is. And David, what he's been doing is helping get ready for the, the building of the temple in that when he passes on and then Solomon, his son, comes on the throne, he knows that Solomon is going to be young and inexperienced, so he's making all these preparations so that when Solomon does get ready to build the temple, when he ascends to the throne after the death of his father David, then everything's going to be in place. And so David has been getting ready this spiritual aspect of things that need to happen, and that is he was getting all the Levites uh, ready. He uh, would get them organized according to divisions, and, um, and they would be given different responsibilities according to the families of Koats and the Gershonites and the Maronites. And their responsibilities are changing now because we know that it's no longer the tabernacle that 
but mostly in the wilderness, what they did is they were responsible for helping transport the tabernacle and different responsibilities given to those families. But this is a permanent building, and this is going to be a magnificent building and lots of tasks that need to be done. So the Levites are getting organized, and we're going to see that tonight the gatekeepers are are going to be uh, put in place, and that's where we're going to begin tonight to look at. But the musicians were in place, the priests are all in place, their duties, all these things are taking place. And so the spiritual aspect is being taken care of as David is is changing responsibilities. He is being guided by the Lord, and we're going to see that tonight. It's not just David sat down and said, I think this would be a good idea. But the Holy Spirit is guiding him, and the Lord is guiding him as he's getting a nation ready spiritually for the temple. And we also know that uh, David uh, would, uh, you know, cast lots and letting the Lord decide uh, how everything's going to be divided up. So we've seen that with with the gatekeepers and and the officers and everything that are going to be involved there with the house of the Lord. And then we're going to see now that he he is going to take care of the military division, um, the security of the nation. We've seen that David also was taking care of the physical aspect of, of the temple. That is, that he's gathering the materials, the gold and the silver and the bronze that he would take Uh, from uh, his um, victories that he won in battle. Uh, He's dedicating those things to the Lord. And then also what we're going to see tonight is that David is going to give above all that of his own estate. And so we're going to see how it is that you and I are to give to the Lord as well. And I want to remind us that I think that it's worth going over these chapters in that, that David really desired to leave a godly heritage to his son Solomon and to the children of Israel for future generations. And so he is doing this with uh, an upright heart. He's doing it to desire to honor the Lord and to also that it would be a blessing for Solomon and then the generations after that, as we will see. It's a godly inheritance. And I think that it helps us and reminds us how important it is that we are to be thinking about how we can leave a godly inheritance in our family and as a church that how we can get the next generation ready for ministry. And I think that can be lost sometimes um, in our ministry. We're so focused on today. And I am in the, the camp of the Lord can come back at any time. And, and I think the Lord is going to come back very, very soon. I really believe that we're in exciting days. I believe that we're in, in the last days. But also, if the Lord tarries, we want to make sure that we are investing in our young people, just as the Levites, after they served after 50 years of age, as we saw, they would turn around and begin to help train the younger guys that would then, in the future, going to be ministering there at the temple. So a very good pattern for us to learn from. So let's begin to look at chapter 26, as David is getting the gatekeepers all in line, and verses um, 1 through uh, 19, we see that, and we read in verse 1, and again, we're going to kind of take a survey of this chapter because there's a lot of names that are here and I'm not going to read all of the names but concerning the divisions of the gatekeepers of the Kohites and and then the sons of Asaph and the names are written there and they uh, were ones that had a a big responsibility as you go to verse 6 also of Shemaiah his son were sons born who governed 
their father's house because they were men of great ability. In other words, these guys were more than just uh, there at the gate and opened up the gate at the beginning of the day and then slept all day long or took a nap or whatever and then came back at the end of the day and closed the gates. These guys were kind of security. They were the ones that uh, made sure that the people that were serving in the temple or coming up to worship at the temple, um, that everything was, um, was secure. Um, the King James says that these were mighty men of valor. So they were kind of security is what they, they were. And they had more than the responsibility of just opening and closing these large gates, but they provided really military protection for those who would come in, because remember, there's a lot of treasuries that are there in the storehouses. There's a lot of people and activity going on at the temple. And so uh, those that would come in, plunderers or evil uh, men uh, that would take advantage of others. So they kind of provided the security. So that's what David is getting in line here. He's thinking of all these things that need to take place. And uh, so the Levites were involved in that. And we read in verse 7, the sons of Shimeiah were these guys that are listed there. And they were able men. And these were the sons of Obed-Edom. They were their sons and their brethren. Able men with strength for the work 62 of Odom-Edom. Now, we've seen his name several times, haven't we, going through First Chronicles. He was the one, when David uh, was moving the Ark of the Covenant from kerjath Jerim, about 30 miles from Jerusalem to the west, and he was wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the city of David to begin to establish the city of David as a center place of worship, that you recall the first time that David made that attempt to move the Ark of the Covenant, he put it on a cart, remember? And uh, the oxen stumble, and Uzzah put his hand on the Ark of the Covenant so it wouldn't fall off the cart, and he was struck dead. And David was full of fear, and he was upset, and he thought, how can I move the Ark of the Covenant? How are we going to be able to do this? And the Ark of the Covenant would stay at Obed-Edom's house for three months. And that was a very awesome thing. That was a very sobering thing, to have the Ark of the Covenant. That's what symbolized the tangible presence of God. But he was faithful to the Lord in having that Ark of the Covenant there at his house. And now we see that I believe God is blessing his family here as we see that uh, 62 of his descendants were now being used for the service of God. So I think that there's an important principle in that for us, for you mom and dads and grandparents, for, for us as a church that if we want to minister to family members, to your kids, as we minister to those who are young, we need to make sure that the presence of the Lord is really in our homes and in this place. And a real key for, for you to pass on that godly heritage is that the presence of the Lord, the things of the Lord are spoken of in your home, that um, the Lord is a priority in your home, that they see that in you, mom and dads and grandparents, that they see that in us that are in leadership here at the church, that as we gather here, that the things of the Lord are spoken of, and the Lord is honored, and he is truly worshiped, and he's the priority of this ministry. And that's going to be a blessing to your children. It's going to be a blessing to our young people that are coming here. So we see that, that 62 of his descendants use in the service of the Lord. And isn't it a blessing when our children are, are interested in knowing the Lord and desiring to serve the Lord, that is a tremendous blessing. And sometimes I'll you know, hear from 
some in the church, not here, but, but others that say, well, you know, uh, you know, so much, you know, that, that focuses on the young kids and you shouldn't do this and, you know, might upset the older kids or older people, older kids, um, you guys. And we want to be sensitive to minister to everyone. But I'll tell you this. If I was a grandparent or a parent and I'm seeing my kids getting saved and excited about the Lord, I, I am going to be excited about that. And so are you. So we want to be wise and discerning in how we minister to everyone, certainly, but not to leave out the, the older and not to leave out the younger as well. But the Lord desires that all of us come into his presence and all of us continue to grow. We all have something to offer. So, so here is Odom Edom, who was um, obedient to the Lord and his household is blessed, his house is serving the Lord. And then as we pick it up in uh, verses 9 through uh, 19, again, continuing in this list, uh, the practical work of the temple uh, we see was important to God. Go to verse 12, actually. Among these were the divisions of the gatekeepers among the chief men having duties just like their brethren to serve in the house of the Lord. So uh, it was important to God, valuable to God. And I want to encourage you, who have those spiritual gifts, the, the gifts of help, that you help out in um, service, in practical ways, that that is important to the Lord. And it's recorded here in God's Word how David organized all of that, the practical things, for all manner of service, as we read, that is going to be done there at the temple, the house of the Lord. So be encouraged that as you do practical things here, as you do practical things in the body of Christ, making somebody a meal, maybe you go over and fix a car for somebody that's broken down. Maybe you go over and, and uh, to somebody's house, an older person, a widow, and you mow their lawn. Maybe you take care of things here. That that is very important in the eyes of God and very valuable in the body of Christ. And then in verse 13 through 19, continuing the list, they cast lots, verse 13, for each gate, the small as well as the great, according to their father's house. In other words, this method of casting lots that they did in dividing up the Levites and the priests and their responsibilities and the gatekeepers and musicians and all of this, that they were letting the Lord determine who was going to serve and in, in, um, where they were going to serve, and that's important for us in the church. I don't want to say, hey, you need to do this and you need to do that. I want the Lord to gift you in what he calls you to do and put it on your heart, and it's much more better when it's done that way, when the Lord is leading you and guiding you in whatever he has for you and whatever service that he's put on your heart. So they would cast lots, and in verse 14, a lot of the East Gate fell to Shelemiah, and, um, and then you go down through the names. Um, in verse 17, on the east were six Levites, on the north four each day, on the south four each day, and for the storehouses two by two. The East Gate had more Levites, gatekeepers that were there because they believed that most of the traffic would go through the Eastern Gate. Now, it is believed in the Second Temple that it was the Eastern Gate, again, that would be facing the Mount of Olives and it would cross the Kidron Valley, that that's the gate that Jesus rode into in his triumphal entry. So the Eastern Gate is where most of the traffic, a lot of the traffic, would come uh, as people would come to the temple during the feast days and at other times. So more of uh, the gatekeepers were there. And then in verses uh, 20 through, um, you know, the end of the chapter, we see the, uh, those that are listed here um, of the Levites. Ahijah was over the treasuries of the house of God in verse 20, over the treasuries of the dedicated things. So there um, are 
overseers of the house of the treasuries that were dedicated to God, the gold, the silver, um, the things that David brought back from battle. Um, and here we see that they were over the treasuries, and it's a similar kind of um, phraseology that is used in the New Testament as an overseer. An overseer who is one that is an elder, one who is a shepherd, one who uh, shepherds the flock of God. And matter of fact, uh, in Acts chapter 20, what we're going to see, Paul is going to address the Ephesian elders, the overseers. And he says something very interesting to them. He says, um, when he's addressing them, that I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, and therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So these guys were overseers over the treasuries of the house of God. They had a very important responsibility. That's in the Old Testament. But when you go to the New Testament, remember this, that God is putting a temple together. It's a living temple, isn't he? As Peter would say, we're living stones being fit together in a holy habitation. And there are treasures here in the house of God. And that treasure is you. You are very valuable to God and never forget that. And don't let anyone tell you anything different. And you are valuable to God. And that's in a sense, I can hear Paul's heart. He says, listen, take heed to yourselves. Take care of yourself spiritually. And then shepherd the flock of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That's how valuable you are to him. And we who are overseers have an awesome responsibility to remember that you belong to the Lord. And that we're to take that responsibility very serious because the Lord sees you as a treasure. Just as Jesus said, that the kingdom of God is like a man who found a treasure in a field. And he gave all uh, that he had to buy the field to take the treasure out. And the treasure is you. So you can be with the Lord for all eternity. You belong to him. And so those of us, again, that oversee our homes, that those children in your home are very valuable to the Lord. And those of us who oversee in the ministry, that, that you are very valuable to the Lord, that, that it is his church and God died for you and you're very precious in his sight, so never forget that. So that's what it reminds me as we look at these treasuries, this awesome responsibility that they had. And, and then, again, there's a lot of names that are here as you finish uh, the chapter here in verse 32. And his brethren were 2,700 men, heads of the father's houses, who King David made officials over the Reubenites and the Gadites and half-tribe of Manasseh for every manner pertaining to God and the affairs of the king. And now chapter 27, and the children of Israel, according to the number, the heads of fathers' houses, the captains of thousands and hundreds, and the officers served the king in every manner as the military divisions. These divisions came in and went out month by month throughout all the months of the year, each division having 24,000. So now we see that David sets in part the military divisions. He organizes First, the spiritual aspect of the nation, and now the military part. And you see, during this time that the temple is going to be built is a time of peace. You remember that the Lord said to David, you're a man of war, you defeated your enemies, but your son is going to be a man of peace, and there's going to be rest and peace in the land during his reign. And there is rest and peace during his reign. And part of it was he was able, Solomon, to raise up a great workforce thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of men 
to help in building of the temple, and we know that those men would not be used for war. But David still is having these divisions um, that are set up, um, 12 divisions of 24,000 each. Each man served for one month a year. So he served for one month, and then a lot of times, maybe some of those men may be working on the temple. But there was always a standing ready security military force of 24,000 um, that were ready. And so David is just making that provision there. Now, again, he took care of the spiritual side, and then it's recorded he would take care of the military side of it. And for us, you and I, to be effective spiritually, we need to have our spiritual life in order. Then we can go out and do battle, right? Because it is a battle out there. And there's an enemy out there that's relentless who will try to discourage you, come against you, throw the fiery darts at you. And that's why it's very important, just as Paul was saying to those elders, to those overseers, you take heed to yourself. In other words, take care of yourself spiritually. Don't focus on yourself. It's not all about you, but you need to take heed to yourself, take care of yourself spiritually, and then you can shepherd the flock of God. And for any of us that are out doing battle, and we all are doing battle, you take care of yourself spiritually, put on the whole armor of God, and then you're able to go out and do battle. But if you're not taking care of yourself spiritually, and you go out and you're weak, you're not going to do very well in the spiritual battle that is out there. And I just want to encourage you to continue in your devotions to the Lord and to know Him and surrender to Him as what you want to be about on a daily basis and put on the whole armor of God because the enemy will be there and he's going to be throwing those fiery darts at you. He's going to come against you in any way that he can and he's going to look for your weaknesses. So the Lord is the one that makes us strong. He's the one that will bless us and he's the one that will guide us. So make sure that you are, you know, strong spiritually and then you're going to be able to do that battle out there against the enemy. So this is a picture that we see as we go through this. And then in verse 2, over the first division of the first month and the names are, are given there. We're not going to read again all the names. But I would like for you to look at verse 6. And this was Benaniah, who was mighty among the 30, was over the 30 and his division was Amiz. Abad, his son. So Benaniah was um, the third captain of um, the third division. Remember him? Of course you remember him, right? He, in chapter 11, he was the guy that was mentioned as one of David's mighty men. And he's the one that took on two line-like men of Moab and defeated them. I mean, this guy was really a warrior. And then also he was one that was recorded in chapter 11 that jumped into a pit and killed a lion. Now, I've known some guys that are in the military that were greatly trained, you know, um, really great guys. I, I got a friend who was a Navy SEAL, and um, amazing guy. But I don't know anybody who would be willing to jump into a pit and take on a lion and kill the lion. This is how tough this guy was. Also, he was the one that uh, would take on the Egyptian of great stature that five cubits, you know, tall, this giant, and he wrestled the spear out of his hand and killed the Egyptian with his own spear. So this guy was a mighty man of David, and David's mighty men's 
as I look at them, I'm more impressed in, in how the Spirit of God just enabled them to defeat these guys that were, you know, line-like men and, and mighty Egyptians and all of this. Also here, as we continue looking at this real quickly here, um, there is, um, in verse 7, there is um, the fourth captain of the fourth month was ASL, the brother of Joab. Now, you remember him? He was the one in Second Samuel chapter 2 that Abner ended up killing him. Remember Abner? He was the captain of Saul's armies. After the death of Saul, his son Ishobeth uh, would be the king. And David was king over Hebron. The other 11 tribes followed the house of Saul. Over time, David's house became stronger. It was Saul's house that became weaker. Ishobeth was becoming weaker and weaker. But Abner was his captain of his armies. And Abner came to David and said, listen, you know what? I think it's pretty evident that the Lord's going to have you be the leader over all of Israel. Why don't we get together? Joab didn't like that. There was this skirmish that went on, and it was Joab's brother uh, here, ASL, that would go after Abner, and Abner ended up killing him, and then Joab ended up killing um, Abner. And so all that that was taking place. So uh, just some of these names here that you look and you can think back how they were written in Scripture and about their life. So the names continue through um, verse uh, 15, and then verses 16 through 22, what you have is the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel, and uh, they were more of an administrative role. Um, it is interesting as you go through this list, I should give you a little bit of a quiz tonight. There are two tribes that are missing here. And um, I'll go ahead and tell you, Asher and Gad are excluded from this list. We don't know why they are excluded. Nobody has a reason for it. It just it didn't end up in God's word here. So uh, the, the leaders of the tribes kind of administrative role over the 12 tribes of Israel. And then let's go to verse 23, though. But David did not take a number of those 20 years old and under, because the Lord had said he would multiply Israel like the stars of heaven. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, began a census. But he did not finish, for wrath came upon Israel because of this census. Nor was the number recorded in the account of the chronicles of the king of David. So what we read here is a reference made to chapter 21. And it confirms that what David did was wrong, because David didn't count the ones 20 years and under. It wasn't that David made a census counting the people to see how many people were in the nation. He was counting the military men, those 20 years and older. And he was not trusting in God. He was trusting in his army. And we discuss all that in chapter 21. And then um, as we see in the rest of the chapter in verses 25 through um, 34, what we see is the other state officials that are listed there. And we see that they were in charge of David's estate. He had quite an estate. They would be the heads over all his flock of goats and one guy over all the camels and one guy is over all the sheep and, and, uh, and the grains and things like that. So you can read that. Um, bedtime reading for you. Take a look at that. And, uh, but I do want to draw attention to verse 33. Ahithophel was the king's counselor. Hushai the archite was the king's companion. Remember those two guys? Again, Second Samuel, as you read that, Ahithophel was David's counselor that's recorded here. Something happened. Absalom comes along. Absalom tries to take the throne from his father David. Remember the story? And in Second Samuel chapter 17, as David is fleeing Jerusalem, he goes over to Mount of Olives, he flees out into the wilderness, and he gets word, Ahithophel, 
has sided with Absalom. And David goes, oh, really? Hushai, I need you to go back and I need you to confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. Because we know that the scripture tells us that the counsel of Ahithophel was like the oracles of God. We know that David was very close to Ahithophel because Psalm 55, David speaks about when Ahithophel would leave David and depart and go side with Absalom. He said he, it broke his heart. I believe David was closer to Ahithophel than he was with Jonathan personally. He says, oh, you know, if it, it was my enemy, I could have, you know, put up with it. But it's my equal, my companion. We took sweet counsel together is what David writes. And he was brokenhearted over that defection of Ahithophel to Absalom. Hushai, you need to go back and you need to confuse his counsel because his counsel is like the oracle of God. I've spent time with him. It's like God's just speaking through him so powerfully. And so David knew that he was in trouble with Ahithophel giving counsel to Absalom. So Absalom, he has Ahithophel there. He has Hushai there. And he says, what shall we do? And Ahithophel says, let me go after David tonight and kill him. Let me take a couple guys, let me go after him while he's, you know, on the run, and let me do him in, and I will kill him, and let the other guys go. Ahithophel, all he cared about was killing David. Hushai, what should we do? Don't do that, Hushai says. God was working. But let's gather all the men. You know David and his mighty men. David's going to be like a bear with cubs, and you don't want to go after him right now. You want to gather all the troops that you can from Dan to Beersheba, then we'll go after him. And it was Absalom that said, I'll take Hushai's advice. Ahithophel was rejected. Ahithophel goes out, and he hangs himself. Two reasons. Number one, Ahithophel was so full of bitterness so full of anger, he went out and he hung himself because he knew that, number one, that the advice that Absalom took from Hushai was not going to work, that David and his mighty men would defeat the nation and that he would be in big trouble. Second of all, he was full of anger and he was full of bitterness and unforgiveness. And the reason that we know that is because Ahithophel had a granddaughter named Bathsheba. And he was so angry about the situation with David with Bathsheba and then having you know, Bathsheba's husband killed. And Ahithophel was so full of anger and bitterness that he goes with Absalom and he says, let me go after David. Let me get him. I will kill him. I will do him in tonight. And that's what happens when a person is full of anger and bitterness and full of unforgiveness, that it will consume you, and it did with Ahithophel, and you'll get hung up. You'll get hung up with a lot of junk and just a lot of nasty attitudes, and it'll affect your life in a very negative way. So there's a very important lesson in that, of what happens if we're not forgiving, if we're not ones that we don't, you know, check that bitterness. As Hebrews says, don't let that root of bitterness spread. It will spread like cancer. And we learn very powerful lessons from the attitude of Ahithophel. A wise, wise man, but at the end of his life, ended up not being wise because he was full of bitterness and it affected his judgment.
So anyway, those were the counselors of David. And then chapter 28, we read, Now David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel, the officers and the tribes and the captains of the divisions, who served the king, the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the kings and of his sons, and the officers, the officials, excuse me, the valiant men, and all of the mighty men of valor. So David here, he is at the end of his life. He calls for the leadership of Israel together, all these guys that are mentioned in chapter 27, and he's going to address them. In verse 2, and King David rose to his feet. Now, why does it say that he rose to his feet? The reason that it says that he rose to his feet, because he's an elderly person here, or towards the end of his life, it took a lot of energy for David to rise to his feet. And he said, hear me, my brethren, and my people i had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the lord and for the footstool of our god and had made preparations to build it but god said to me you shall not build a house for my name because you have been a man of war and have shed blood verse 4 however the lord god of israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over israel forever for he has chosen judah to be the ruler and the house of judah the house of my father and among the sons of my father he was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel and all of my sons for the Lord has given me many sons he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel now he said to me it is your son Solomon who shall build my house and my courts for I've chosen him to be my son and I will be his father and moreover I will establish his kingdom forever if he is is steadfast to observe my commandments and my judgments as this day Verse 8, Now therefore, in the sight of all Israel, in the assembly of the Lord, in the hearing of our God, be careful to seek all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. So David speaks to the assembly of Israel. I want to highlight verse 2. He said, I want to build a house of rest. Isn't that an interesting term for the temple? A house of rest. Because he knew that rest comes from a close relationship with the Lord in the presence of the Lord where the temple is going to be. And it reminds them to keep God's commandments and follow after him so that they will be blessed and remain in the land to leave it as an inheritance for your children. So again, good things to look at. David, he wanted to bless the nations uh, of Israel. He wanted to honor God, but he wanted to leave a godly inheritance for the children, his son Solomon, and the generations afterwards. And the way it's going to be is that you are careful to seek out the commandments of the Lord. That, that he's going to continue to say, know him and follow after him. Let him be the priority of your lives. Verse 9, for as, you know, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intents of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. God is the one that searches all of our hearts. He understands all the intents of the hearts. And notice that David says, first know him and then serve him. In that order. Know him and then serve him. When you know him of his love and his grace and his mercy, then you just want to serve him. But I like what at the end of verse 10 here, he says once again, be strong and do it. In other words, Solomon, you've been given this ministry. Know the Lord, keep his commandments, and the Lord is with you. And be strong and do it. And that's what I want to encourage all of you. 
What has the Lord placed on your heart? What ministry has he given to you? Know him, serve him, do it. Do it for the Lord, for the kingdom. And I want to encourage you in that way. And that's what David is doing. He's, he's like a coach here, getting Solomon ready for what he is that he's going to do. And David gave his son Solomon, verse 11, the plans for the festival, its house, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat, and the plans for all that he had by the Spirit. Note that, verse 12. David didn't just make these plans because it's interesting. When I first went through the Old Testament and saw that Solomon, when he builds the, the temple, it's a magnificent building, and it's different than the tabernacle. It's bigger, and it's going to have 10 menorahs and 10 shoe bread tables and, and all these carts and lavers and, and pools and all that. And I thought, well, you know, Solomon, he kind of overdid it, didn't he, a little bit? But here we see that David is going to give the plans to Solomon, and it was given to David by the Spirit of God just as... As the pattern of the tabernacle was given to Moses out in the wilderness. So David is being led by all of this as the, the uh, materials are listed here for um, the, 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 the temple. He, the plans for all he had, verse 12 again, by the spirit, the courts of the house of the Lord, all of the chambers all around of the treasuries of the house of God, of the treasuries for the dedicated things, also for the divisions of the priests and the Levites, for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord and for all the articles of service in the house of the Lord. So remember that as we go through Second Chronicles that Solomon isn't just being grandiose. This was given to David, the division of the Levites, the division of the priests, the gatekeepers, the the musicians, all of these things, he's being led by the Spirit of God. And his desire is to bring glory and honor to the Lord. So that's what we're seeing here. And then verses 14 through 19, you have listed all the materials, the, all the gold the, uh, for the cherubim and for the showbread and the lampstands. And you can read that, but it's just kind of listed there. And then let's go to verse 20. And David said to all his son uh, Solomon, be strong of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed for the Lord God. My God will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. And here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God. For every willing craftsman will be with you for all manner of workmanship, for every kind of service. Also, the leaders and all the people will be completely at your command. So Solomon, know this. Know this. You don't have to fear or be dismayed, for the Lord is with you and he'll never leave you or forsake you. And God's word doesn't change. And for you who are serving the Lord and standing on the Lord, listen, the Lord is with you. And you don't have to be afraid. You know, there's been a few times in my ministry where I've been afraid. I've been afraid. And I thought, Lord, the whole thing's going to fall apart. The whole thing is just... It's not working. Lord, how are you going to provide? Lord, what's happening? Lord, why all the attacks, all these things? And I come back to this verse here in verse 20. That I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be dismayed. Because the Lord promised he'll never leave me or forsake me. And he will finish the work just as Paul would write to the Philippian believers in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he has begun a good work and you will bring it to completion. I don't know about you, but that brings me great rest and great assurance that the work that God has started, that he's going to finish. Just as we see with Moses finished the work. 
Just as we're going to see that Solomon finished the work here, he's going to finish the work that he wants to do in your life as you just trust in him and look to him and know that he'll never leave you or forsake you. And there are going to be those times where you're going to question, God, am I really supposed to be doing this? Uh, and you know God's called you to do it. Lord, should I just give up? Should I just quit? Should I not do this anymore? And the Lord is with you, and he's going to finish what he has begun in you. And may you be blessed, and may you come to that rest in him as you're serving the Lord. Well, quickly, one more chapter, and then we're going to be done. We see in chapter 29. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great because the temple is not for man but for the Lord God. Will we always remember this, that the work that you and I do, whether you're doing practical things, whether you're focused on the spiritual things, whatever the Lord has for you to do, we are building a temple, that living temple, and it's a great work. Don't ever think that what you do for the Lord is insignificant. It's a great work. And we see how David would give to that work as he, in verse 2, Now for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, and, and stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones, marble slabs in abundance. And he says here in verse 2, take note, I prepared with all my might. He knows that the work was great, and he did not do it half-hearted because he was one that had a heart after God. And whatever God has called you to do, don't do it half-hearted. Oh, you know, I am going to work, you know, greeting today or in the coffee shop or children's. It doesn't matter if I show up on time. It doesn't matter, you know, if, if um, I really do it. Um, it does matter. And whatever that you do for the Lord, don't do it half-hearted. In Romans chapter 12, it is Paul that said, don't be lagging in diligence. And so a key, again, is to know him. And a person who's excited about the Lord, I'll show you a person who's excited about the Lord and knowing about the Lord and growing in the Lord is going to be a person that's going to be excited about serving the Lord. You show me a person that's just apathetic towards the Lord, I'll show you a person that's going to be apathetic towards serving the Lord. So here David was a man after God's own heart, and he served the Lord with all of his heart. He's doing a lot of things here to prepare for the temple because he says, it's a great work of the Lord. Moreover, in verse 3, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. So here David, he's giving above and over of his own you know, um, inheritance, his own things that he has. He wanted to honor God and invest in God's house. So he was giving, and we're going to see the manner in which he gives as we read uh, what he gives, 3,000 talents of gold in verse 4, and uh, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses, the gold of the things of gold, the silver of things of silver, and for all kinds of the work to be done by the hands of craftsmen, who then willingly consecrate himself to this day to the Lord. And so David gave freely. He gave out of his own personal um, you know, 
uh, wealth that he had, his own personal possessions. And then, verse 6, the leaders of the father's houses, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of the thousands, and the hundreds and officers over the king's work, they offered willingly. So David set the example for the rest of the nation. And they were giving, and notice that they gave freely. We continue reading in verse 7, that they gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the hand of Jael, the Gershonite. And then the people rejoiced for they had offered willingly because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. King David also rejoiced greatly. Isn't it powerful just in these few verses tells us the attitude in which we are to give. As we give, David being a wonderful example, the leaders here, they offered willingly, they offered with a loyal heart to God, and then they rejoiced in the Lord in giving. That's the way our giving should be. And we see that again in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 as Paul is talking to the Corinthian believers. Hey, this collection that you said that you would give to the saints in Jerusalem, I want to remind you how those in Macedonia, that is the church of Philippi and those churches in northern Greece, how they gave willingly and freely, and God loves a cheerful giver. That's the way that we are to give. And when we give, it should cause us to rejoice. And if we are giving out of, because we feel that we're being pressured or manipulated, or I guess we should give, keep it. Really, I mean it. Because that does not honor the Lord. When you give of your time, of your devotion, when you give any of us of money and investing in the kingdom of God, we should do it because we have a heart for God. We have a loyal heart towards him because we give freely and willingly and cheerfully because I love you, Lord, and you've given to me your son. How can we withhold from giving to the Lord who's given us eternal life? forgiveness of sin, his son Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit. So David, he understood that. He wanted to honor the Lord. He's giving freely and willingly, and so are the leaders as well. And then we see that he begins to praise God. Therefore, David, in verse 10, praised the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. And your hand is power and might, and your hand is also make uh, great to make great and to give strength to all. Verse 13, Now therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, and we were all your fathers. Our days on the earth is a shadow and without hope. In other words, David blesses, exalts the Lord, gives thanks to the Lord, and he expresses the greatness of God. And all of this came from you in the first place. And so we thank you for the privilege to give back to you what was yours. James writes that every good gift comes from above, right? So he has blessed us with every good gift. He's blessed us with his own son, Jesus Christ. How can we withhold from him and not give back to him? So David is saying, thank you that we have opportunity to give. So do you give thanks to the Lord that you have opportunity to give? 
or do you give grudgingly? Do you give with hesitation? Do you give out of guilt, manipulation? That's not the heart of giving. The heart of giving is, thank you, Lord, that I give to give to you and willing and freely because you've given me every good gift. I'm just giving to you what you've already given to me, uh, your goodness. In verse 16, O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, and you test the hearts and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me and the uprightness of my heart, I will willingly offer all these things. And now with joy I've seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, uh, our fathers keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the hearts of your people. Fix their heart towards you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies, your statutes to do all these things to build uh, the temple for which I've made provision. And then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. So what we see here now is, um, is you know, David emphasizes this offering is being made with a loyal heart a heart of integrity, and willingly. And that his prayer was that their hearts remain fixed towards the Lord. In verse 21, And they made sacrifices to the Lord and offered burnt offerings to the Lord. On the next day, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs, and their drink offerings, sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord with great gladness on that day. And they made Solomon the son of David king a second, the second time and anointed him before the Lord to be leader and Zadok to be priest. So here is Solomon. He becomes the king. And they have great gladness. And that should be the end result, as I mentioned to you, of us giving willingly and freely with a loyal heart. Great gladness in our hearts that we're able to give to the Lord. And the Lord is blessing them. And, and it's just a rejoicing time, a wonderful time. And then verse 23, Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father and prospered and all Israel obeyed him. And all the leaders and the mighty men and also the sons of the king David submitted themselves to King Solomon. So the Lord exalted Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. And we're going to read about Solomon when we go into Second Chronicles, of course. And now as we close First Chronicles, thus David the son of Jesse reigned over all Israel. And the period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. So he died in a good old age, full of days. I like that, full of days. And riches and honor, and Solomon his son reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David first and last, indeed they are written in the book of Samuel the seer, in the book of Nathan the prophet, in the book of Gad the seer, and with all his reign and his might, and the events that happened to him in Israel, and to all the kingdoms of the lands. And so, Father, we thank you for this time in this book, these lessons that we've learned that, Lord, can get skipped over and missed, but it just confirms so much of what the Scripture says about a loyal heart and giving to you and desiring to serve you and be blessed by you. So I thank you for this time that we've had. And, Lord, we do thank you for every good gift that we have come from you. And the greatest gift of all is the gift of salvation. So my prayer is that everyone here would know of that gift. That free gift that comes by just faith in Jesus Christ alone. 
that this world is not where it's at. This world is getting more darker, more confusing, and more evil. Contrary to the ways of God and what you desire for us. And Lord, I pray that if anyone is here, that their hearts is not been given to you and surrender as we sang tonight as surrender all that there be opportunity if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ will you do that tonight because he is your salvation and the scripture is clear that those who reject Jesus Christ will be separated from him for all eternity but those of us who put our faith and trust in him have the promise of eternal life the Lord loves you. He's provided, but he's not going to force his way into your heart and into your life. He desires for you to come as he knocks on the door of your heart. The invitation is given. And he desires for you to right now have a soft heart, a heart of understanding of the gospel, a heart that yearns for God to worship to know him and that is the God of the scriptures the creator of the universe who sent his son to die for you Jesus Christ and he hung on a cross for your sins and as you come and you cry out to him that as you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you confess that God raised him from the dead see he was put into a grave after he died for your sins after he cried out it is finished I paid the price. All of your sins placed upon him. He was the substitute for you. He took the wrath that you deserve upon himself on that cross. He cried, it is finished. And then he was put into a tomb and he conquered sin and death. And now as you come, you are justified. Justification, salvation comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ. It means that you repent, turn from the direction you're going and the way you're thinking. And now you surrender to Jesus and you pray in your heart, Jesus I believe that you're the Son of God who died for me on Calvary's cross, and I now come and ask that you would forgive me. I confess I'm a sinner, and I now surrender my life to you. Be my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for the greatest gift of all, your Son, and the gift of salvation. Be my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for hearing my prayer. I believe that Jesus is alive because he's alive in my heart right now. And for all of us, that we would leave this place desiring to know you, to know you more and greater, to draw closer to you, have that loyal heart towards you, Lord, and then to serve you, to be healthy spiritually, and then we can go out and do battle. But Lord, for all of us, that we would be strong and then do it, because the Lord is with us and we live in perilous times and he'll never leave us or forsake us. We live in times where people need Christians in their lives to be a light and a testimony of truth in the gospel. So may that be us. So Lord, be with us as we leave this place. Thank you for this time that we've had together. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Would you please stand? If you need any prayer, or if anybody made a decision out there in a the coffee shop, you know, and you made a decision for the Lord, anybody in the sanctuary, come and pray with me. I'm going to stay here for a few minutes and just pray with anybody that needs prayer. But I'd love to hear from you and talk with you and just bless you. Also, um, there is root beer floats that they have tonight. All right.